Are you guys ready up there? Alright. Alright, quiet on the set. Hello, and welcome to the WIFT podcast. This is Vanessa Gilday, Vice Chair of Women in Film and Television Ireland. We hosted a screenwriting masterclass with LA-based and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Kirsten Sheridan. Kirsten talks about the art of writing for the screen with former WIFT co-chair and screenwriter Lauren McKenzie. Thanks, Vanessa, for a fabulous intro. Uh, welcome, everybody. I understand that uh, there's plenty of other temptations at this time of year, and I'm, I'm very glad you're here and that you're delaying gratification because there will be wine, I promise. I'm going to run through Kirsten's bio, even though I think probably everybody knows this. And I've kind of, as I went through it, I realized I came across Kirsten's uh, short films long before I knew who she was, and I remember them, you know, there was, you were always striking, even from the very beginning. So you, I got, you studied film and television at UCD, film production at IDT. I actually wrote the UCD thing, but I didn't really. You didn't really? <laughs> <laughs> I did like a two-week course in screenwriting, and now it looks like I did like some huge UCD That's thing. your first degree. <laughs> and then your second Not degree. Yeah, no, it was a two-week no, thing. No, the PhD I have here. Yeah. Is that <laughs> completely true. Okay, that's yet to come. Um, I've got... <laughs> I'm not sure. Sorry. Yeah, I know, sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, there's been five short films. Maybe. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Two award-winning ones, Patterns and the case of Magellan McGinty's The script was by Mona Regan. And then you also won the Miramax Best Irish Screenplay Award. Right, yeah, that's yeah, a while back. Yeah, we are going back. That's a while back. But that's how you launched yourself, which was yeah, uh, yeah, quite was starry. Cash. Hard cash, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Um, your first feature was Disco Pigs, starring a young Killian Murphy, and it was written by Enda Walsh. So I'm, it's also, <laughs> I'm crediting writers deliberately. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, that went to uh, premiere at the Berlin Film Festival uh, to great critical acclaim and uh, won numerous prizes, which is too many to list. Although at Berlin, someone did say in the, the Q&A, you know, when you have those Q&As and someone said, why did you make this film? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those wonderful questions. Yeah. And you said... Oh, it was a long fucking answer. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were escorted out. <laughs> Um, uh, 2003, you co-wrote the screenplay for, um, again, critically acclaimed, um, autobiographical in America, uh, nominated for an Oscar, Golden Globe, and a Writers Guild of America award. No, Not one. to say that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, in terms of no, writing. No, just patience. We're going to go through the yeah, awards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, won the National Board of Reviews, Christopher Award, and the Broadcast Critics Awards for Best Screenplay. Then your first U.S. feature film, August Rutsch, in 2007, written by Nick Castle and a few other people. I never met Nick, but yeah. Um, you know, it sounded like it was, looked like it was passed on through various people. Starring, um, you know, Jonathan Rhys-Myers, Kerry Russell, Freddie Highmore, Terrence Howard, and Robin Williams. You know, kind of fabulous um, film to launch yourself in the U.S. and uh, a lot of New York locations. Like, it was a real mm. solid American feature <laughs> film. It was fabulous. Then um, 2009, you came back to Ireland and you set up the factory in the Docklands, which is a, a real um, ambitious, idealistic, kind yeah. of um, enviable 
collective of artists, of directors, with John Carney and Lance Daly, yep. uh, with Maureen Hughes, who's a casting director, and her actor studio. And you had mixing rooms, the sound rooms, and so on. So it was like trying to do everything from very first base to the end product. That's right. It was a, like a 10,000 square foot freezing cold building with a broken boiler. But yeah. it was a lot of love. <laughs> yes. I was there. I was yeah, trying to get a room there. Actually. Um, and while you're in the factory, you um, directed dollhouse but yeah. that we should talk about that a little bit later because the whole process was experimental and uh, improvisational and you yeah. were working really closely with your actors yeah right? um, and so that was an exciting project i mean it's clear like it just from running through all of this uh kirsten has an amazing range of um projects that she has done subjects and format and approach um, over the years and, and, of course, doing them all, you know, so well that you're getting awards for it. And I think it's, you know, it's quite apparent you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that too. I'm not sure. Well, you're still young as well. That's the other thing to remember. Um, there's a few projects that I, that, uh, I was checking out that you Things are announced, you know, in the press, you know, that are in development. So there's been variously um, an Olga Corbett um, biopic, Amy Winehouse biopic, a four-part TV series about Cleopatra, and uh, and a more recent feature about um, GA. GA, Jim McGuinness, yeah. You know? Yeah. And you're currently living in LA. Yeah, for five years. Five years. Are you <laughs> staying there? For a while, yeah. Yeah, I moved over to specifically kind of look at the TV world over there. So that's been really interesting, just pitching, you know, to that, to those kind of rooms and those amount of, like that amount of people and execs and yeah, that world. It's very different to feature films. And are you pitching your series ideas or trying to get onto other people's series? Both, both really. But like when you go to pitch your own TV series ideas it, over there, you realize that it takes the same amount of energy as honestly as writing at least one, if not two feature films. So yeah, that's one, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah, pitch yeah. and that's completely free work. So, you know, it's, it's so I've been doing uh, writing features as much as possible over there as well to just pay bills and stuff, oh. but then developing TV pitches and writing spec screenplays to kind of break into that world. But it's, it's very specific and it's a major learning curve. Very steep learning curve. I can imagine. And the, the spec scripts, <laughs> are they spec TV scripts for a particular series? So you may no. Write? Well, a lot of people do that, but I I wrote a spec uh, comedy pilot, actually. Funny enough, on the morning of the election results, <laughs> I woke up and had to tell my kids what happened <laughs> and that we were still living here. <laughs> and uh, at something flipped in my brain and I went from drama to comedy overnight. <laughs> Because I out thought you couldn't compete. Yeah, out of just headspace. Um, so then you couldn't compete with the level of drama in the news. Um, mm. And so I thought, actually, if I could write comedy and get everything I was trying to say in through that door, probably very black comedy, that that would be an easier way to, to reach people, you know. So, yeah, so I wrote a spec pilot comedy and then sent that out. And how's that going? Good. Well, you kind of get a job from some of those things. You know, mm. you might not get your show picked up. But as, as we were saying earlier, like I go to a lot of talks at the Writers Guild where I'm sitting there, you know, and there's show, a whole panel of female showrunners here, which is kind of amazing. But, you know, someone said um, the uh, getting your own TV show is the equivalent of winning a pie eating contest where the prize is more pie. 
<laughs> and I was like, okay, so it's kind of be careful what you wish for, it seems like, because it just completely takes over your entire world and you have to be ready for it. Um, and you have to absolutely be in love with what you want to say, um, which you realize after doing three months of free work on something, you're like, oh yeah, you really do have to love it. There's no point. And it seems so simple and that's the kind of advice your agents give you and you're like, yeah, yeah. But when I first went over there, I went over there with the attitude of like, I can do whatever you need. So what do you need? You know, what color does the car have to be? Okay, we'll make it red. Okay, no, maybe we'll make it green. Because um, I wanted to get a job, simply. Um, but that's more of a staff writing position. So there's very different kind of boxes. Um, if you want to develop your own show, you have to go in absolutely knowing what the color of the car that you want to sell is, you know. Um, and if you if you divert from that, you're kind. It, it's not good, you know. So, but then if you go in as a staff writer, you have to be completely malleable and and ready to collaborate and, and drop ideas <laughs> for someone else's ideas. And Look like you're really easygoing and yeah. fun to work yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I meant to say earlier, we will we will stop the questions, okay? So yeah. like some of this, might as we'll keep talking about pitching because we were, um, we were talking earlier about, uh, more, well, actually, I wouldn't mind talking more about what you're saying now, actually. The <laughs> idea about depending on what you're pitching uh, it's not just about the content, it's about how you put yourself across. So whether it's the, a lot of people, certainly with um, your own series, as you're saying, or even with feature scripts, is the producers want to hear someone say, I got this. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about it. I know exactly what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. whether it's true or not, and everybody's kind of convincing themselves of that, <laughs> yet mm -hmm. they're all uncertain. Mm -hmm. But you were talking about that's exactly the same in the TV market. So yeah. If, yeah. Yeah, if you're looking at being a showrunner, I mean, that's such a specific job, you know, and I think actually, you know, I, I was trying to sell my own show ideas for five years and I worked with various companies and, you know, many different reasons things don't happen and whatever. And I'm still kind of at that. But in actual fact, when I look back on it now, I'm going, God, I actually wouldn't have been ready. There's no way, you know, to take that on. It's such a humongous uh, responsibility, you know. So, I mean, I kind of feel like feature films are, are so different to TV land, you know. And we were talking about watching features with teenagers and how they see everything coming. You know, and, 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 you know, we were talking about that trick that you do like 15 pages into a script where you go, oh, I'll have someone say like, you know, this is what I really want to do with my life. And then you'll come back to that at the very end of the movie and that's what they're doing or, or that's what they're not doing. And it's a little trick. And like, I'm watching that with my kids and they'll be like, oh, let me guess. That's what happens at the end of the movie, you know, and you're just like, oh, cringe, you know. And so they see all of that structure. They're so savvy that I feel screenplays are utterly limited now, you know, because they have to follow some kind of certain structure. But it's a three-act structure, which is a hero's journey, which, you know, we're in women in film and television here, but to me is a male story. And mm. it's, it's been that way since they wrote that structural myth thing, you know. And But for me, and this is, might just be what I've convinced myself, but I find TV is a female medium because to me it's like a spider's web of structure. It's the world and it has all of these, you know, like, and that's how the writer's rooms look. They look like a spider's web. Mm. They mm. don't look like a straight line with obstacles and redemption and resolution. So, so to me, that's just much more interesting because you kind of go deeper into that part of your brain, you know. But it's also, I think that the writer's room encourages different voices, you know, and that the sort of multifaceted yeah. um, characters and storylines because it, 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 everybody's collaborating, which is actually, again, 
whether it's a cliche or not, but it is true of women. They're known for collaboration. Yeah, yeah. And you can branch off and do all these different, you know, it's kind of like it becomes a 3D image to me or something, you know, like the, the whole TV world. It's like the world that you're in is so important. In, in, mm. Whereas feature films, I think it's what does the character want, you know, but, but for TV, it seems to be what is the world. And, you know, recently it's been a little bit difficult, I think, over there because the bar is so intense. Like I went to I went to pitch something which I thought was wonderful. Not not even my idea, because it's true life. But it was about the, the invention of the lie detector machine, um, which was actually invented by, with the grandfather of it is William Marston, who wrote Wonder Woman, um, and is also a psychoanalyst. And they've made movies about him and this menage a trois relationship that he had, and all very interesting. But, you know, I went to pitch that to places like, not even the, the HBOs and the Netflix is more like the, the one that, you know, like the Nat Geos and the History Channels and those kind of things. So you go, this is a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then you go, wow, this is, they're like, it's like Masters of Sex, but that was picked up 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like things are so extreme and ideas over there are pushed so far that you have to be going in, like it's, it's, it's so extreme, you know, that, that's just way too tame right now. So that's kind of... story idea. The story idea is too tame. Yeah. So it's, you know, like it's kind of that Marvel thing is a problem. I think, you know, it's like, okay, it's set on a spaceship. Okay. It's set on the moon. Okay. It's set, uh, they're cannibals actually, you know, oh, it's actually a, a, a third dimensional reality show, you know, like it's, it's the high concept ideas are so up high Mm. that the normal ideas of just drama and people (laughs) and every day can get kind of lost in the mix, you know? Um, so I think that's, you have to, it's, that can be difficult, you know, because that's where I'm drawn to. It is, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of those sort of series, because I do, I love the relationship series, right? The yeah. The TV series as well, so, um, but I'm thinking, This Is Us is doing well. Ugh. But I'm wondering, I'm curious as well about, because some of it blurs, because I think that's an issue with uh, feature film as well, in terms of the types of stories that have been done and sold. You know, and so how big and glossy and high concept they are. Yeah. And the smaller dramas, mm-hmm. you know, about people that we recognize um, mm-hmm. and a story that, that is about something that would be very close to us and can be just as intense in the stakes uh, as life-changing mm-hmm. as a superhero movie, right? Like a Moonlight or a, yeah. you know, those kind of level of... Moonlight yeah. or Private Life, which is on yeah. Netflix. A few few things appearing on Netflix, which yeah. is interesting. So it's a crossing a line between um, TV and feature film, right? or it's feature films appearing on TV, mm-hmm. I guess. It seems uh, like that's interesting, though, because I think, like, um, those those two extremes, and it's funny because it, it comes back to the women thing again. Like, I was recently thinking about Fleabag and <laughs> some other TV shows, um, Better Things, Pamela Adlin, an FX show. And it's interesting because the women characters have to completely unmask themselves and be so naked and show so many flaws that probably a male audience have haven't really seen before you know and like that's who Fleabag is and that, that's why it did so well but it kind of makes you think you know wow so is that the op- is that the option you know what I mean is that what we have to do or else we have to go over here and you know do those higher concept things you know I'm not sure though I have heard the quote and I think it was Joe Dapato who said if you want to be original these days my there's a couple of years now if you want to be original just write about women right but I think with Fleabag I think there's been plenty of um male stories with the films or TV where there is there is a vile kind of um nakedly honest um no holds barred male character right and there's been yeah. plenty of them you know Jack Nicholson does a good line in them 
and uh, like Paul Giamatti and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Fleabag, I think, is actually just, it's just the female version of it. And yeah. I think that's how it stands out. It was honest and bold. Yeah. You know? And then shameless, right? Yeah, yeah. Not that she was say, but she was shameless. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. And, and uh, oh, come on, power to her. I think she's kind of a genius in it. Yeah, Because it's, it's been so rare. Um, do you have, are you pitching feature film ideas like original ideas or mm. <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah um a little bit but it's quite it's quite tough I think out there you know so I mean you know I have a couple of feature <laughs> films that are set in Ireland that are in that middle ground territory that are very very hard to attract funding to you oh, know so oh. we were just talking about this it, it slightly feels like Ireland can fall between stools because you know Netflix is going to Netflix Spain and HBO are off opening Opening, opening offices in um, Eastern Europe and and yet you know it doesn't seem I don't I don't feel it that that it's here you know they, they haven't come here and picked up movie ideas certainly not a lot of them um so it's strange because we speak English there's not that local language production which I think comes back to RTE you know like if if RTE behaved in the same way that um the Danish TV stations behaved um mm. I think it would it would it would grow a very specific voice that you could then brand and that would be an authentic voice there's nothing wrong with that branding you know so but I think we haven't been given the opportunity at all to grow that or maybe a little and it might be getting better and I understand the reasons why etc etc but the the fact of the matter is for writers and directors and producers that option isn't really there certainly not enough well, I think it's changing actually. So, so even Good. if you talk about debt, and well, no, but, <laughs> oh, no, I, I think <laughs> no, I think it's a landscape that's changing. You know, Danish um, Danish television is wonderful, but I, I have had a conversation with an executive, like the vice president of DR, a couple of years ago, who it felt that um, they they're broadcast, they're broadcasting in the way that we have been broadcasting in a national broadcaster producing programs for a national audience that it was just it was going to go by the wayside you know anyway yeah right you know within our lifetimes anyway mm. as it is um and that streaming and netflix and so on and the international audience and content is it's the way it's going to go so it's funny though because amazon just said recently you know i think it was the amazon exec someone there at, at like this big huge tv uh conference said the biggest mistake people make is going into her and saying um this, this will work in, in five different territories. This is a global universal mm. story. That's actually the biggest mistake. She wants people to go in and say, this is 100% Spanish and it will work in Spain. And then it has its own life after that and a knock-on effect. But but she was actually saying it has to be utterly authentic to that country. <laughs> I think that's always yeah. been true. It's always yeah. been true. But it's been hard to get across to people about uh, the more local you are, the more international, the more universal. Yeah, be, if you can be, get it right. Be yeah, authentic. Yeah. Um, but you suggest you like there's there are plenty of Irish creatives that have made it overseas, like yourself, you know, and then the Lenny Abramson, Lenny Abramson, and uh, and the actors and so on. But do you feel that there haven't been films in in later years that, that have represented a, a, like an authentic Irish story? Oh God, I think there's been loads. Yeah, and been loads. yeah. absolutely but, brilliant but ones. It's like whether they travel or not, really. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean. I mean, it's just so hard to get those features made right now, you know, and and I suppose just on a, not even on a philosophical level, but on a very simple funding level, I, I think Ireland yeah. falls between stools. That, that's what worries me, you know. Um, 
that I, I don't see people like going, okay, so what are the, I don't see Netflix and Amazon coming here going, what are the ideas? I haven't felt that anyway, you know? Yeah, well, so. funding is always a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the factory, in terms of how you set it up, um, did it work as you wanted it to work? Well, actually, it's funny because we set it up as a writer-director co-op, a filmmaker's co-op, yeah. or an artist's co-op or whatever. Um, but it became more, much more an actor's studio. Yeah. You know, So that was where the energy was in Ireland at that time, it mm. felt like. Um, so we just went with that flow there, you know, and, <coughs> and so we ran the actors course, but, you know, for, for so long and, and the studio for so long, but a lot of great actors came out of it and, and I got a film out yeah, of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was, yeah, it was quite, quite a wild roller coaster ride for, for three years, that one. <laughs> when, in the making of Dollhouse, you worked with the actors, but did you also work with Lance and John, you know, in terms of... A little, of yeah, yeah. What you were doing? Yeah, I mean, like, nothing would have happened in there without everybody knowing about it and being kind of involved, but, yeah. but I guess I just thought, like, the idea of a factory film was a certain type of film, and so instead of me having full control and writing a script, I just decided to do a 10-page outline and not tell the actors what the story was and reveal it on camera. So that was really fun on the set because you're like an uber puppet master you know um, <laughs> total control freak um and so that was that was great because it the set felt very alive whereas before i would write a script and then the set was just about you know like being disappointed every day that you didn't have enough money to get what you wanted you know like that's filmmaking so i was like let's try and let the set be the alive part you know so uh yeah, it it's, it was it was a lot of fun. Was <laughs> that like? Uh, are you saying the actors didn't know anything about what they were going to do no, when they turned nothing. up? Nothing. It was great. Yeah, I mean, they knew they knew exactly where they were in that moment. So right. you know, Shauna, the main the lead, knew she was pregnant because she would have, as a character, known she yeah, was pregnant, yeah, and she yeah. knew she was hiding that from everybody, and she knew it was her house, and she knew she was hiding that from everybody. But when the door knocked. Nobody knew who was going to come in, you know. Oh, okay. So um, that was fun, you know, because I didn't realize it was quite as improvised as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, it was terrifying for the actors. It was so yeah, cruel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was exciting at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly out of that, um, Shauna Kerslake has gone on to yeah. do and wonderful Jack things. Too. Did, oh, Jack, yeah. <clears throat> and then Barry, <laughs> Barry Keoghan was in that factory. So it, it was a great. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that. It was a great, that. Um, great mix. Great. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, that's a lasting legacy. But the funny um, thing is, is with the actors in the in the factory, what we what we really learned, or what we really tried to push home, was was to be uh, not 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 waiting for permission from anybody else, you know. So it was mm. all about pushing them. And actually, oddly, a lot of them have become into stand-up. So it's strange. A lot the of, actors. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the actors in that went into stand-up as, as just like a writing and trying to find themselves and trying to find what they're about and just to take control of, of their own life and writing one-man shows or, you know, or mm. making short mm. films. So they branched out much more, you know, yeah. which I see, like anytime I get, I get calls from people who are like, I'm going to move to LA and I'm a writer and what do I do? <laughs> and I'm on the phone for like an hour chatting away. And, but like, it's funny because when you look over there, you're like, okay, like, like insecure, what is is a, a girl you know uh the, the hbo show but it started as like this small youtube channel and high mm -hmm. maintenance started as short vimeo uh little clips and mm -hmm. like a lot of those things do come from that you know so so that's why i think it's so important for actors to not just look at themselves as actors who have to wait by the phone for a director to tell them that they got a job you know 
It's a terrible so, my son wanted to be an actor for yeah. a long time and I was like I thought writing's pretty difficult but an actor yeah. who has to wait for permission to do the thing yeah. that they love is a terrible situation yeah. to be in. So yeah. it's good advice. Yeah. But I'm curious actually, what is the advice that you give to people who are in your <coughs> Yeah. Which isn't to say that anybody should moving. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm telling you, don't have to move <laughs> I guess the good thing about moving there, in some ways, or moving outside of Ireland, even for a little part of your life, I think, is that you do have to, you do get a slightly different perspective. I think you know because mm. you know you're pitching to people who literally have no clue what you're talking about. So you have to widen or something the way that you tell stories, you know, or and and also be more clear in some ways, you know, because there's no shorthand be- between you, you know. So it's a that's an interesting thing. But what was your question? <laughs> what, what is the advice that you give oh, right. to writers or actors, um, actor writers who come to, who it want depends. to move to LA, yeah. LA and start working? It depends what they want because I moved five years ago and I kind of wish that my agents had said, okay, you need to go straight in as a writer's assistant. I know you're 30 whatever, but you need to, there's a real career there and it's fantastic. Within you know, TV, in, you yeah, in yeah. TV, there's a real career of, um, of starting as a writer's assistant and then going and just moving up that ladder and then you are an executive producer or a producer within a few years and then there's the other option which is you know sitting at your kitchen table every day from nine till three writing which is what I did which feels like going to the gym every day um it's that much fun it's good for you (laughs) um but it does exercise that muscle and so you know then you just go in and and you keep pitching and you just I mean we were talking I was talking about this with a writer recently um, and I, because uh, you know, you say words like made it, and I'm like, I so don't totally do not think that about myself <laughs> at all, you know. And I don't know if any writer really does at any point in their career, you know. But, um, but I was saying to her, what what is the difference? And, and I do think it's just about the not giving up part of it is the only difference, you know, because I've like in the last six months, year, I have seriously considered absolutely changing careers, you know, as we were talking yeah, about when yeah, you yeah. when you write the script and you send it out and it's just silence. That's the hardest thing for an artist because art is about connection. And then, you know, they say, write 100% from your heart, put everything into it, and then you do, and then you send it out, and then there's silence. Yeah. And it's... The baby is left on the doorstep Absolutely. In the freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to let, let the whole thing go and get very zen about it. So it's weird because you have to be utterly passionate and then utterly zen. <laughs> it's um, about compound... Com- I can't speak, I'm sorry, compartmentalizing. I learned over the years to actually have a few projects on the go and just, once I delivered a script, it was delivered and I'd just go on to something else. So I yeah. wouldn't, I couldn't afford to be sitting around thinking and waiting to yeah. hear. I knew at least three months. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd be very lucky if someone can, uh, made contact yeah. um, earlier than that. Well, there's a question I was going to ask for, for later, but you talk about being Zen. Is that easy for you to be then about? No. no. <laughs> I don't think Do it's easy for anybody. But Do you I, develop skills and um, how to manage it and stay sane? Um, no. No. <laughs> uh, I'm trying. Um, I'm trying. But um, I think going straight on to something else is a smart thing, you know. Yeah. So I have 15 projects on my fridge that I look at every day. And like there's an underline for the That's two that are paid. <laughs> so they're underlined there at the top then there's an asterisk for the ones that are feature films and a dot for the ones that are tv and you just look at it every day and you kind of have to let one go for a little while while it's in that in that yeah, yeah, yeah. waiting for response mood and then like 
fixate on something else, you know? Yeah, I no, putting the money first, I think, is like something you just have to do. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The money project. But hopefully they're the, the passion and the money, like, end up together you know, yeah yeah I mean we were just saying you know you get a job and you're like I think I like this and then like halfway through draft one you're like I'm so in love with these people or you know you get yeah. very into it doesn't it. matter where the yeah. project starts and even if you were just doing it because you were desperate to pay your bills you you'd still end up giving as much for yourself to yeah. the project as, as something that was totally your own yeah. idea yeah it's the same whether the project is low budget for friends or you know yeah. someone else is paying big money for it you know, yeah. it's just it takes everything yeah. and I don't I don't know how to do it differently no um, no no there's there's I don't think there's a way probably the ones I got paid the least I meant least amount of money for or uh, took longer you know yeah just for whatever yeah. reason so yeah <laughs> and that's how it goes. But when you are sitting down to write a script, are there any elements that you feel like you need to decide on first? Like, is, is it scene? Or is it character? A world? Or, like, anything that you have in, in I mean, mind? it's funny, because what they keep asking for over there, whether it's feature or TV, is, uh, you know, you start every pitch. And sorry to keep coming back to pitches, but it just... it. it it speaks to me a lot about, about you know, whether you're trying to get commissions or, or going into the film board or whatever it is, but they, they're quite obsessed with um, the personal connection, you know, and, and, and again, so it, it... Like your personal yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah, so if you have that, it gives everybody a real sense of relief, you know, and, and actually it's quite true then. You're, you end up going, actually, that's, that's very true, you know, and, and it takes so long for you to find your voice you know, and we were just talking earlier about how it's it's always, you're always finding your voice, you know what I mean? And for the, a huge chunk of my career, I think now, and I'll say this again in 10 years, but looking back at it now, I go, wow, I was writing what I thought certain characters should behave like, you know, and, and it takes a long time to unlearn that and strip it back and and start again from a different place, you know, and and let it like it sits a hounds all so cliche and so easy but all of those things ring true you know that it does come from somewhere deeper inside rather than what you think this is expected or or what this character should do or you have seen do already on film for 20 years and you know I, I used to have female characters specifically um that and one day I did do that that uh, experiment where you just call that character a woman uh, you know this male character <coughs> just called that character a female name and reread the script and mind-blowing you know mm. I was going why how did I not make those choices in the past for a female character you know so that's kind of scary because that's when you think wow I've internalized this um lack of a voice for years <laughs> and it's coming out in my writing and then you have to smack yourself to get out to wake yourself out of that you know we are all products of our environment, like it's unavoidable. So, you know, when the people talk about unconscious bias, I think, mm -hmm. you know, we all have a exactly. bad in terms of uh, <laughs> writing what's familiar to us, you know, yeah. for right or wrong. There were actually, I think this is slightly connected as well in, term, in terms of uh, writing women, right? Whether, and whether there's an element of that we have absorbed about our own behavior. But also, when you're talking about um, voice and how it's changed over the years, I do think your voice, one's voice, can be true at the time. Like yeah. I've gone back. I've Absolutely. been invited to go back and rewrite a project, mm. you know, from like five years before. Or, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's gone into turnaround. It's not mine. I can do it. I can mm -hmm. go back to it. But I'm actually no, I'm no longer the person that initiated mm -hmm. um, that project and had had that idea and I felt passionately about that subject. I've actually moved on. Like yeah. there was some 
some things I wrote, there's a script I wrote about parenthood terror when I had a baby, mm-hmm. right? The character might have been an adult, um, like adults, but it really was about parenthood. But I was sort of asked to go back to it over the years. It was one of my sort of longest lasting script. It will never be made, but mm-hmm. it was well loved and got me many jobs. Um, but I couldn't really rewrite it. There's a certain point that I changed and, and yeah. I learned a lot more. So I, I'm, I do wonder about voice. Is it something that we're constantly trying to find that true voice, or actually we are many different people in our lifetime? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. You can't really discount it. Like, yeah, it's it's a valid thing for what it was at that moment exactly. in time. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can look back at things, and and you can see a through line too. You know, but. But I guess it's just getting closer to some kind of truth. And I'm married to a psychotherapist. Yeah, so, so there you're done There's for. that. Um, <laughs> you know, a Lacanian psychotherapist at that. So talking about spider's webs and diving deep into things and looking at them and taking them apart and going, why am I writing that? You know what I mean? And mm. constantly asking yourself that question is, is an interesting uh, <laughs> and exhausting well, it could be never, experience. Yes, never ending, I <laughs> yeah. would say. Yeah. Um, does your husband read your scripts? Uh, when when I pay him. <laughs> oh, really? No, no he does, yeah. <laughs> I'll babysit when I promise to babysit. Yeah. You know, he does, and it's great because, like, you know, it's 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 character motivation and it's um, people say things and, and what's really going on is absolutely, completely different, exactly, you know? Yeah, so that's yeah. the fun part of it, you know, using dialogue to, to say the opposite of what's actually going on in the story, you know? <laughs> that's the fun part. Does he recognize you in your scripts? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> Does he recognize himself? He recognizes my Freudian slips in the script, which is yeah, scary yeah. <laughs> and uh, revealing in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I would have the courage to do that. I would keep it to myself, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. It can go very close. I mean, like, even Dollhouse, like, was a weird experience because I was pregnant. I was, like, seven months pregnant right in my parents' house as a location, writing a story about a girl who breaks into her parents' house and has a baby on the floor. So I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll just go with this. But you were aware of that. Yeah, right? I was at least aware of it. The actors were not. Neither were my parents. But now they are. <laughs> but they've seen it all They've now. seen it now. Um, that is something we could talk about as well, about your relationship with your father and writing. If yeah. Like, I, don't, we didn't, I didn't check this before. No, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting because I suppose what I learned from him is like... Um, is probably much more important than like tips about screenwriting. You know, it's like, it's it's that vulnerability and that like being okay to be unmasked is mm-hmm. is probably what I learned. You know, um, um, and you know, uh, he's like the same person on set, in a taxi, at home, the exact same person. Um, and so that crazy childlike curiosity, I suppose, that he has is and and wonder and kind of always pulling at threads. You know. Um, is yeah, but 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 I suppose it's having the um, uh, I don't know fearlessness. I suppose to to just say this is me, you know, and and that's it. But that's that's kind of fun to watch. I actually heard him at a talk years ago saying, admitting he said that even the dog has my face. <laughs> Everybody remembers that <laughs> line. Everyone remembers that line. <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. He had another good one. good one that I really liked about character, and he said um. He said, everyone says to me, that's contradictory what your character just did. And he's like, yes, humans are full of fucking contradictions. He's like, I put five characters into a pot. I put the water in. I put the fucking gas up. The thing boils over. There's the fucking character. <laughs> You're like, yeah. 
something else That's to happen. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? Um, do people have any questions? Do you want to just pause for some questions? But why don't just as you were talking about in America, would you maybe talk a little bit more about what that was like to write with your dad and your sister? Yeah, about a story that was yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing, I suppose, you know, like, I mean, this is just so specific to me. I'm not sure how helpful it will, will be um, to just writing in general. But we went to America and, and me, my, my two sisters, my, yeah, my two sisters and, and my mom and dad. And all of that part of the film is 100% autobiographical. And that was the easy part to write. And then my dad brought in the death of his actual brother which happened when he was a kid, into our story. And so he became <laughs> every character. He became the father who can't let go of the kid and the death. And he became the oldest daughter who feels like she's the one taking care of the family, you know. So so that was kind of fascinating. And, and I mean, in some ways, we wrote a lot of that on improv. Um, I would improv because Sam Morton was on Minority Report and she wasn't available. So I would be pretending to be my mum with Paddy Considine mm. and my dad would be directing and I was pregnant with Leo my first child and so it was oh. very strange like every like art imitates life has always been this weird kind of um uh, parallel track I guess in our family but the DNA of that story goes back to when my dad's brother died and my my grandfather couldn't deal with the um emotion of it and so to get him out of depression he started a kids th theater drama group and so he brought all the emotion onto the stage where it was safe to express it and where nobody dies because it's film or theater and art. And so that's what he did. And that then has been like this theme, this ongoing theme that, you know, is constantly passed down through all the work. So, so, but to answer the question in a more simple way, <laughs> um, we just wrote our own drafts, myself and my sister, so that he could see a kid's point of view and in separate countries at separate times. Um, and so he had that. Uh, it was almost like writing a diary. It was the easiest thing in the world to write. And then years later, we came back to it through the improvs and through. Mm. And that's how he finds story because he thrives in chaos in that way. So it was get the actors on their feet. It's a really interesting way to write because mm. if you, it, it, there's so many, like there's like every different type of actor, there's a hundred different type, there's six billion different types of actors and the same with writers, you know, and it's just which is your process, you know, mm. some people it's. You know, like a lot of people didn't come to the factory because they are the kind of people who will sit in a room with the door closed on their own and that's them, you know. And, mm. and then there's ones who pick up the camera and need actors and write in that sense, you know. So, yeah, it's finding that process that works for you, I think. So is that how it was written? It wasn't sort of you writing scenes independently and bringing it together. It was no. more a group improvisational sort of setup. Well, it was the separate drafts that he kind of amalgamated into right. into his draft, into the Uber draft, I suppose. And then that was taken apart years later with the actors and put back together again and changed and, you know, and then taken apart again in the edit and reshot. And yeah, I have a, a sideline question, really. Memory. Did you have each of you have different memories of different yes. events oh God, that you were absolutely. writing about? Absolutely. Absolutely, and different truths, you yeah, know, exactly. which is scary because, exactly. yeah, now my kids have different truths about me. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the truth <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, and we were just, I was just watching Waltz with Bashir recently. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene in that where they talk about memory being alive mm. um, rather than this fixed state. So it's very kind of, I don't know, witchy. <laughs> well, no, it's very true. Yeah. Alive yeah. and growing. And, yeah. And, and malleable all the time totally. yeah I mean there was an experiment with, that they did where they show people in a park 
and they go, I was never in that park. And you, you put a photo of that person in the park and then you implant, oh, keep asking yes, them, seen that. you know, <laughs> yeah. asking them how was the day in the park. And by the third time, they're telling you an entire story about the day they had at the park, you know, which is story, which is storytelling, I suppose, you know. Yeah. But I think you'll find, even through that, I guess art and writing and all that stuff is fiction, but you'll find, I guess, yourself and, and your own fact in there, you know, somehow, you know, even if you're making it up. It is. Sometimes it's interesting because I've, I've only just finished reading Educated by Tara Westover. So it's a memoir about her childhood on a farm in Idaho with very difficult parents, very difficult family situation. And she does talk at the end of the book about how she had to check. She, she rang brother, her brothers to check certain details she thought about various events oh, and yeah. dates and things. But actually, they gave her a whole other point of view about certain yeah. ac- accidents, about whether she was the one who treated her brother's burnt leg or whether her father had treated the right. brother's burnt leg. Like this like really, really um, opposite yeah. um, memories of the same yeah. event, you know. So... I was curious about that in terms of in America, but I do think that's... Yeah, no, I mean, you know, my dad's quite funny about it because he'll be like, oh, I asked the kids to write their own version and they wrote me out, you know, so <laughs> that's what we did. We were like, you weren't there. What are you talking about? It was mom, <laughs> you know, so he was like, oh. <laughs> but maybe he was there, you just never saw Of course, saw him, yeah, right? of course, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Apparently I never attended a football match yeah. with my children. <laughs> Obviously a career from outside looks different from when you're in it, you know, yeah. so you feel like you're still into this constant struggle and yeah. that, that, that constant questions of I should have done something I, else. Every writer I know, yeah. yeah. The architect. Yeah. <laughs> I do see it happen. Like I see people, someone has a, a first film and either, and generally it's women, and it might be, you know, eight to ten years later before they get another film. And the first film could have been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Winter's Bone um, launched Jennifer Lawrence and then it's like eight years later before Deborah Crowner comes back with Leave No Trace, you know. Yeah. And for a lot of people who don't have the same memory of Winter's Bone, it's like she's just appeared again, you know, right. and like the first film again. Mm-hmm. And uh, which to me just feels like hey, it's a tragedy on two, yeah. two counts. One is because there could have been another film for us to enjoy in yeah. between. And that the, her, her, the development of her career and her voice isn't, isn't happening as it should, you know, and I presume in that time of her not getting a film off the ground is also she has to find money and pay the bills and, yeah. and do, you know, other things. Uh, and it's the same, I mean, I was talking to Deborah Regan of, of, the, of Screen Island and she said it is, it's, it's absolutely as difficult for them to promote filmmakers right. and films and put them in the market if there's a long gap it might as yeah. well be a first your first film. and actually not even your first because your first you're, you're oh they're new they're also full of promise and new voice and this new thing and yeah. there's some heat and there's some yeah yeah so being being a first film I think is easier than being a second or a third five or ten years later and that's exactly the same as my trajectory you know it's huge gaps they're not as big really? as some though no okay. they're not too bad they're quite respectable really <laughs> but I, i'm wondering if you know if you have any ideas about um how one can well actually the first question is did you ever sit back and look at your career in the beginning and think about how what you wanted to do and where you wanted to be in a certain amount of time yeah i still do that every day like <laughs> <laughs> was it the very beginning like a disco pics where did you think the next God, step would be. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I suppose, it, it, 
I think you're one was clueless. I mean, I was quite clueless. I just kind of was blindly kind of going along. But but it was then maybe I would do an interview where someone would ask me a question like that. And I go, oh, God. Yeah, wait a second. What happened there? Or like with August Rush, you know, that was like you go, OK, well, it made money and and, you know, people, certainly Americans liked it and all of that. But then you don't get offered anything, you know, and you're like, and, and then people are like, they're confused by that. And then that makes, that made me go, oh, maybe I should have been, you know? And, and so at the time you're just kind of assuming that everything is, is normal, but then, yeah. But then when you look back on it, you go, God, maybe that actually wasn't normal. Maybe I, maybe I should have gotten offered other things at that point in my career that I didn't or whatever, you know? So it's a strange one. And you didn't expect things to come your way after August Rush? Was well, out. what came my way was maybe one or two options that were the exact same movie, but worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, you do see a lot of that, actually. Yeah. You know, like, apparently I'm the, um, you know, crime writer at the moment. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Red Robbers yeah. the last game. Right, yeah, exactly. And um, so you go, four. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to do a war film after August Rush, do you know what I mean? Like. Just yeah, to break yeah. out of that box, but it was like, no way. There's not a hope you're going to be able to do that. But do you think if you, do you think there's any way to um, avoid that, you know? Being... I think it's getting a little better now. I think people are getting a little bit more open and not pigeonholing you, you know? Mm. A little, but I think that maybe the way to avoid it is again, like to take my own advice that I would give to the actors and try and um, either write something or make something that 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 refutes that you know and that kind of pushes back on that somehow and that's you know unfortunately probably spec scripts <laughs> yeah it, it's one of those things you really need to have the next project in your pocket yeah and when, anger when can fuel is. things yeah. <laughs> anger can be good um you know um yeah i think i think i mean the last the, the last spec pilot that i wrote was Pure, I think was was an anger thing, <laughs> and and it does. It ends up getting you another job. So, yeah. I mean, we were talking about biopics as well, and it's a little bit about in America. But then, with your with all of you involved, you are actually in 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 one way also in control of the representation of yeah. you know, your family story. But if you your biopics like Olga Corbett and Amy Winehouse and yeah. approaching that, how did you approach writing about real people? Um, I think it's very, very delicate, you know, because on the one hand, you've got this commitment to these real life people and that feels very, you feel a lot of responsibility Mm. to that, I think. But I think I have to be completely in love with the person to write it. All right. In in a way, because I think I wouldn't ever be able to do a biopic that that takes a person and goes in a direction that they don't want to go. So I kind of have to know that from the start, you know, that there's enough there to mine down and get a story out of it without adding in stuff that's really not true to who they are, you know. Oh, to make, you know, to make, yeah. to make it more dramatic. Or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you say love the person, do you mean love the real person or love the person that you've come across in, in terms of various forms of media? Uh, the real one, I think, yeah. 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 You so have to it, meet them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, if you're doing a, a biopic on someone who's long gone, like, it's it's a different thing and you can only... <laughs> You can only do so much and, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky though, I think, you know, because you're really representing something very, um, you know, I have a big problem with uh, those, those, uh, 
advertisers who take dead people and and make them into advertisements you know like i oh, think yeah. it it should it's like a crime punishable by death as far as i'm mm-hmm. concerned i think it's just so fundamentally wrong but i guess that's the estate saying that's okay or something you know i don't know but 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 then at the same time maybe i'm a hypocrite because i i wrote about cleopatra the fuck do i know what cleopatra <laughs> thought you know but yet i like uh did as much research as 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 one could but um yeah, so it's it's a tricky thing, I think, you know. I also think it's interesting though, if you're talking about um see, you could you could want to represent someone in a certain way and it, and you may think it's completely truthful. Exactly. But what if they don't but see what themselves if they don't. that way? Yeah. What do you do then? I mean, I suppose I've been looking in that Annie Biopic uh character subject that I've been involved in kind of is able to to go deep and and show themselves warts and all and and all of that kind of thing and and we've been in in a, in a real parallel track, you know, with that. Mm. Um, so I would I wouldn't like to be in a situation where there's conflict there. I think it'd be too painful. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think no, it's I to be avoided, that. you know. Um, yeah, um, and that can happen. That's happened with books more specifically. I think you know, mm. like I've adapted a few books where uh, the advice was to not go hand in hand with the original author, mm. and that's a mistake. I think. Especially if they have this power over the yay or nay that it gets made. <laughs> it's a big mistake. Um, because you obviously go so far and you have to take 10 steps, but they have to take those baby steps with you along the way to realize why you made those choices, you know. So I think that can be tricky. be really difficult, I think, you know, for a novelist to see their story Absolutely. completely change. Yeah, out of the blue and not realize why you made those choices yeah, to get yeah. there. Yeah. Necessary choices, yeah. I think. Yeah. Two different mediums. Yeah. Um, and when you're, uh, actually, there's a, there's another quote that I came across that was about structure, and you said uh, you felt essentially like this real paraphrasing that you you had adhered to structural rules in your time, and eventually you you gained enough confidence or knowledge to to um, discard yeah. structure. And then this also relates to what you were saying about children recognising yeah. the various plot points and yeah. little story tricks because they're yeah. all the same. You can go and buy the book and, and uh, yeah. put it together and that's very hard to, it's very hard to avoid when development executives come back at you with those. You know, yeah. It's only for your page 30. You haven't, I know. You have to be you careful, I think. Because if, if, if you're writing... And, and development execs can actually sway you. You know, if you're... If, the, if someone asks a question like, what's the motivation for this character's big action on page 50 can't we plant it in the first 10 you kind of like logically you should say yes and that's what you should do but that kind of it's logic that doesn't work you know what I mean yeah so like I think you start learning that logic is is kind of bullshit in the same way that you know you put all those characters into a pot and boil it over and there's a person you know like full of contradiction you know I think there's an emotional logic Yes, that I exactly. Would for. Exactly. You know, that you sort of, it surprises you, but it does feel true. Yeah. Yes. And I was in a pitch recently, and they were saying, "So this character, I was pitching this like abs- like what I think is an absolute kick-ass, crazy, like anti-hero hero woman who has many, many uh, dodgy traits and all of these things." And you know, the development exec was like, "Well, what was the moment in her childhood where this?" And I was just like, <laughs> and I just actually launched at her, and and. Ten years ago, I would have thought on my feet and said, well, there was a moment when, you know, but I was like, no, that's, that's, that's total bullshit, you know, 
Um, and I was saying she's still molding herself this character that's the point you know what I mean she's made of clay <laughs> and they were like Ugh, we're not picking this up <laughs> wrong answer <laughs> Do you think that's true of Hollywood, though, that they want know, to, to I follow d- the rules? Sometimes, or? but again, it, go, it goes back to, I guess, who are you pitching to, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you're lucky and you have someone who's who's willing to maybe let you go out on a limb a little bit. But I think there was a very depressing but also very good Writers Guild. Uh, there was two, there, I don't know if anybody gets uh, subscriptions, if you can, to the Writers, uh, the WGA uh, magazine. Is really good, and maybe we should kind of like ask them if we could do our own version and pull their articles, you know. That oh no, to pay maybe for for which? For yeah, for, or for any for the guild here. Yeah, yeah. But there was two great articles. One was about um, was about pitching, and it was the guy who who wrote the night of, which is fantastic oh, HBO. Ooh, Steve's alien, I think. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> which is awful. He said um. You can be, you can walk in with a Shakespearean level idea and it does not matter. It's who's in the room with you, (laughs) which is a real kind of, it it helps in some ways because you're like, okay, I better just, I better package up before I go in, you know? Mm. Um, And then the other one was, it was the transparent writer, Jill Soloway. And she said, everybody says like, uh, don't cry at work. Don't cry at work. And she was like, if you're in my writer's room, you cry every day <laughs> because that's what I want on the page, you know? Yeah. So it's a whole flip side idea that, that she had, you know. But what were we talking about? Because it was a different point. <laughs> can't remember. It doesn't matter. No, but you did remind me. I also think it, it depends who's in the room, but it also depends who there's, um, what they're looking for. Yeah. Because I've, yeah. I've found in pitching, I've walked, I've, like I've walked into the open door, you know, where right. they want, they want, they're actively looking for the thing that I'm just about to pitch. Yeah. And I, you know, I get to say about three words and like they go, yes, great. Yeah. Have you got, you know, have you got it yeah. written down, you hand it over and, yeah. uh, uh, you know, yeah. that, that was working title. That was like right. one of the blessings. But I, but it made me really, really conscious. Luck and timing, you know, is huge. Yeah. But they will only um, bear fruit if you've done the work and you've got yourself in the room mm-hmm. in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So, but luck and timing can't be underestimated. And actually, there's a book that just reminded me of, and um, speaking of Shakespeare, but there's a book by Ted Hughes called uh, Shakespeare and the Goddess of Complete Being, which is out of print now, but it's an incredible book about how Shakespeare had this split subject of, he was the one person who, who well, who was trying to like make the goddess whole again rather than split her into mother maiden crone oh, yeah, yeah. you know um and it's a it's a really fascinating book but what it also says is that he was lucky in his own way because his personal story matched up perfectly with this split that was happening in in in, in society at the time between catholic and protestant you know and so it's this really fascinating idea of whatever your internal story is if it's matching up with something that's happening in the zeitgeist like you're you're golden, you know, yeah. but it's impossible to force that, so it's very tough. No, yeah. it is. It was the same thing about pitching when they say, "Well, actually, no, we're not interested now. We already have one of those." Do you have a supernatural series, right? Because yeah. like Misfits is doing really well. Yeah, and you go and you go. If I start working on that now and spend the three months yeah. or whatever and start pitching it, It'll and then we make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be over It'll that. Be over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> be over. Yeah. It's already too late. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about just, uh, well, questions again. I was about to go back to screenwriting 
And any and yes. Just when you're in LA, as well as writing, are you directing as well? No, but actually, I know a, a lot of friends of mine are. Um, a lot of Irish women, which is great. Steph Green is is doing a lot. She's going from show to show to show, which is hard graft. So she but directed Run and Jump. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. directed yeah, Run and Jump. It's really beautiful. And oh. it's it's right now. Like my agents are like direct. Like you know, there's a moment and you should do it, and it just doesn't happen to be what I want to do I think Ashling Walsh I think Dervla Walsh like there's a lot of there is a lot of opportunity for in the, mm. in the directing mm. space specifically mm. in TV but um, I have three kids and so I chose to stay and do that in just in my writing bubble you know but but I suppose the the options for me would be more like join a writer's room of a show um, at whatever level uh, a show that you love and can bring something to or just keep going on the individual pitches, which is kind of feels like winning the lottery, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> is, is quite a high bar. Um, or, um, I mean, commissions on features seems to be getting thinner and thinner and thinner every mm. every day. So that's, um, you know, they, they're so jealous of us that we have the film board. Like, they're like, what? You know, they, they, they can't get it into their head, that concept. So I guess we have to look at it in a lucky. good way there. Yeah. yeah. But it, sometimes it just feels impossible to be a parent and to work in this industry. And I do say parent because I think it's a similar problem for yeah. men these days as well. Yeah. Um, and, and people, I, there are some people I've talked to about it and they have this kind of blinkered approach to the set and the idea that you could change anything about how films are actually made to be able to accommodate parents Mm -hmm. or the school day Mm -hmm. or set up a crash for a production Mm -hmm. you know for a period Mm -hmm. of time you know whether you know it's up to the parents choice whether they want to move a child around but Mm -hmm. surely just offering the choice Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like the quota conversation i think yeah i think it all goes together yeah, <laughs> it can't be a choice because it will never happen otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It has to be mandated somehow from somebody in power, whether that's an individual on a show who does something and then everyone goes, wow, and then they follow suit, you know, or or whether it's a governmental, you know, political law abiding mandate, you know, but, but yeah. But it's, well, I, th- I think it is really basically about saying that the um, film set or a TV set is a working environment for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? And at the moment, it's um, it's it's far more suited to men. I mean, mm-hmm. I've actually had I've had a male director say they still didn't really feel it was the place for women because somehow it was about you know like being um, um, soldiers, you know, like battling to the top of a hill together, oh. Oh, and God. you know, <laughs> now he's a lovely man. Oh. <laughs> and we, we we had an argument. <laughs> I, I, met, I, like, I may have changed his mind or opened his eyes to Time. women choosing, like choosing to have families. You know, in the thirties, it's kind of it's a period of time. You either do it or you don't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and actually, probably my like my children are sort of most wonderful part of my life. But but if 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 someone really wanted to be. Um, you know, a film director, writer, director, author, a woman, I'd probably advise them not to have children. If they were ever hesitating at all, I think think the choice in terms of developing career, the way things are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, practically. You'd be better off not. Yeah. Like, it's like left brain, right brain, you know? Like, my right brain is like, no, children will make you a much better writer because exactly. you're, you've all these experiences. And then my left brain is like, yeah, good advice, you yeah, know? Because well, <laughs> this is also the age thing. You come up against the age thing. So you, yeah. you've lost 10 years. Um, but what do you think is more likely to happen, like quotas or um, 
eight-hour working days on a film set. Oh, my God. I think, like, you'd have to be in quite a position of power, I guess, to, to insist upon it. You know what I mean? It's a tough one, I think, you know? I would much prefer... If, if if it had to be insisted upon, you know, like you have that backup. It's like having a union backup, really, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can have all the will in the world and then still like let everybody and yourself down by not going that direction, you know. But if, if you have the union saying, no, that's just the way it is, you have to. It's like, OK, great. You kind of want someone to actually say that, you know. I think so. Just imagining a huge <laughs> strike. Yeah. You know, like in Iceland, of all the women yeah. were, were, walked off every film and TV. Set. Right, right, right. Looking for every For a start, looking for an eight hour, eight hour working day. You know, it's like yeah. you manage childcare. Yeah. At least. Um, I mean, I just have to bring my kids with me to set, you know, and I'm lucky that they're all interested in it, you know. But the eight year old, you know, that'll be not, you know, it's harder for him to be so How old are they now? Uh, 16, 11, and 8. All right. So, so the yeah, other two, kind of pass, yeah. But the, the period of time is very difficult to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, Questions? Can you speak a little bit about the writing? So the process, are you called from character to story, from your issue? She worn that back in, like, as you go along, 9 to 5 or 9 to 3, Monday to Friday. What, what, what's your actual process? Let's say whether it's feature film or, or TV drama. I'll answer this and you tell me if this is if this answers it because I'm I, I there might be like three separate answers to that. Um but the my process is very specifically research for like 2 months, like a long time and immerse in everything and then I end up with like a 100 page document that might have like uh YouTube clips, music, uh characters from other movies, lines, uh you know, characters like ideas from my own life and it's all in this one huge unwieldy doc- document. And then I break that document down into like a master 20 page kind of these are my greatest hits, you know, of what I need. These are the things that are coming up strongest. In terms of the story narrative? or In terms of just everything, probably everything, like the entire project as one thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, like the world it's in, the characters, the structure. Then I, and then I do have a separate structure document <laughs> that's much more uh, boom, 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 you know, and that changes based on this. 20 page kind of mad thing you know and then I procrastinate until the very last two weeks totally and my husband goes there's a deadline in two weeks and I will write 16 hours a day in those two weeks and for the week before that I just stare at the wall in a depression and that's the same every single time and he just goes could you is there no balance so this is no so that's just my process but I Did think everyone's is different or? I think house is spotless <laughs> by that point well I know when I need to write when I'm picking out drain hair with the tweezers <laughs> every time I'm like that oh yeah it's that time where <laughs> does I don't know, would that be just for, like, when you're going for hire, or... No, I, everything, all of it. So where does the initial, this is the one? Um, how does that... Or, as in, like, how to pick projects kind of thing? Or for yourself, how, like, what makes you go, this is what I'm going to spend the next X amount of months working on? Like, what is that? I mean, sometimes it's really practical, you know what I mean? Like, like I read a book and get the rights, and then, like, you have an option period, so you have to jump on it, you know what I mean? Or... Or there's a commission and you have to jump on it, but but uh, it's much harder to answer that question when you when you've no necessity. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. when you're just like, what should I write about? Like that's a really hard question. I think you know it's it's almost so big that it will stop you <laughs> from doing anything. <laughs> so like 
I guess I was kind of, the last thing I did, I was like, oh, I really need to show that I can do a half hour comedy. So then I was like, okay, now I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now how will I do that? Um, so, so that's probably, um, and then, you know, it, it, it comes from 400 different places. I think, you know, it could also be like, wow, we need a female character who's X now, you know, like let's stop having the female lead have to have revenge because of a rape situation, things like that. You know what I mean? You're going, okay, so how do I then not do that? What does that look like? Who is she? Where she come from? All of those kind of things, you know? So I think it probably comes from like so many different places, but but like Lauren said, like, you know, you're not even sure at the time. You're like, should I spend three months on this? And then like when you're a month in, you're like, no. And then when you're two months in, you're like, yes. <laughs> There's that really silly, you know, that one. It's a meme, but it's really true. It's like, this is shit. I am shit. This is not bad. This is great. I'm a genius. This is shit. I am shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, I do think there's also an element, and, and you, you just identified it there, where the, in choosing the project to focus on, it's also keeping in mind where it might go. And if it's sort of you can see an easier, That's uh, an point. open door somewhere, yeah. like someone's... Yeah, absolutely. Then that might be the one to contemplate. And actually, on. agents can sometimes be good on that. Yeah. You know, yeah, like exactly. I'd be like, what about my... And they'd be like, ooh, you know, that's that's whatever there's just exactly that i've just read 10 yeah just like that. yeah yeah so you go <laughs> okay well i think mine was still but i'm going to put it on ice for five years you know yeah i'm sorry yeah two questions sorry um <clears throat> just on the agents then do you have different agents for different facets of your work and how does that work what is beneficial and what is not and then just reflecting on um your work obviously in so many different forms are there any mistakes that you've made or things that you would avoid or, or wish you'd done anything differently? Like just specifics? Yeah. Um, so the agent thing, I did have an, a UK agent, but then when I moved to America, there wasn't much point in having a UK agent. So I have, I have an American TV agent and an American film agent at UTA, but I also have an Ameri- two managers at Anonymous Content. Um, so they're quite different uh, relationships, but... You know, I think agents, it's like, it's kind of like any relationship. Like I I went into it thinking, oh, you're going to get something for me, but it's not actually the case <laughs> as much as you'd like it to be. You know, it's, it's very much, um, when it goes quiet and cold, it's like any relationship you go, how do I get this back on track? What can I give them? Even though you don't, you kind of feel like, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like I should be getting, they should be calling me with a job offer. But unfortunately, I don't think that's actually the relationship, but people think that's the relationship. So the expectations are here when you go into it and unmeetable, and you know what I mean? Yeah. And you just get constantly disappointed. So um, to stay in, in their, um, to stay alive in their head, you know, it's really like any relationship. What can you bring to the table? And you're kind of going, but I'm bringing everything. <laughs> Aren't you going to make phone calls or whatever? But you know, when it goes into that quiet space, I would do something like, okay, I have to, I have to show them that I can X and I'll do something and I'll send it and it will give it a bit more life again, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a giving thing. I think that's the only way it works, you know? Um, and then, you know, you do end up getting your own jobs a lot. Yeah, of course. A lot. So, you've worked with before. Yeah. Back, yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, I would say it's about, it's like making you're the person who makes chairs and sometimes you make a chair with your own design sometimes someone asks you to make a chair 
because I quite like the chair that you made. Mm -hmm. And your agent is there to sell your chairs. Yeah. You know, and they might be able to tell someone that actually I think she's really good at making chairs, but if they haven't actually got one to sell yeah. one's chair, I'm running no, out no, of energy here. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially you have to give your agent something to sell. Uh, and otherwise they can sell you a little bit, but that only lasts if you're really hot yeah. in a period of time. And there's such specific things, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm going to give you, <laughs> actually a friend of mine, Caroline Moran, actually the actress, you know, she was talking about actors and she was like, it's literally like having cars. They're like, hmm, like agents and actors. So maybe it's similar with writers. They're like, I have a red Ferrari. And I have my Ford Focus and I have this. And like, you know, and she'd be literally like, you know, I have my Irish brunette and who's in her 30s yeah, yeah. and I have my... So so it's quite it's quite hard to get out of those boxes, you know. But in a weird way, it's like if you, you have to present yourself. <laughs> I had to do this. Everybody has to do these things like, uh, what's your 30-second elevator pitch on yourself? <laughs> like, <laughs> my God. But it's an interesting exercise to do, you know. It really is. Um... <laughs> and whether you have to ever say it or, or not is, is another thing. And of course, it's going to shift and change and everything. Yeah. But for that moment in time, and if that lines up with, with something that's sellable for them, that's a good thing, you know. Um, does that answer the question at all? <laughs> um, and then the other one was, what was the other one? Just like... Oh, mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Like millions. But, um, but at the same time, like this is the thing, it's like the practical side of the head and then the Zen thing. Well, I wouldn't be who I am today in my head. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like so many, like, <laughs> where do I say, do you want to meet after? <laughs> we'll have a few glasses of wine, I'll be crying. <laughs> Opportunities for learning. Oh, well, yes, that's it. They are. That's it. What's the best advice you've been given? Or, or the advice you were never given and you wish you had, but you have learned? I mean, some of it is that very practical stuff. I mean, the best advice I've been given is all that philosophical end of it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure about practicality is the best advice I've ever been given. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I mean, I read an awful lot of, like, I, I read, like, just every book on screenwriting and every book mm. on, and all the, ma all the magazine articles and go to all the talks. And you always get one gem out of all of them. You know, I think it, it, there's, like, you read 100 pages and you only get one gem. So there's quite a lot of work involved. But um, practically speaking, I mean, like I say, I wish, I, I actually kind of wish that my agents had said when I moved to L.A., <laughs> this is this option, start in the writer's room, this is this other option, this is this other option. You know, just that macro view is very that's hard to get. The, the career path. Yeah, that's very hard to get, I think, you know. Because you're in the weeds so much, you know. It involves a level of ambition and confidence as well. Like to, yeah. to, to stand back, look at yourself in, yeah. the, in the industry and work out how you're going to get yeah. to where you want to go. And, and staying focused on that, I think, is really yeah. important. And I mean, you know, it makes me think for some reason of Lenny all of a sudden in my head and room. And I think we were talking about this. Maybe that's why it's in my head. But, I, you know, I would always say to actors like, um, write a personal letter if you want the job. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they oh, might not get read. Oh, they might. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it, it doesn't matter. Write the most personal letter you possibly can. And that's what I've done to get jobs. And that's what I think Lenny might have done with he room. Did with room. He did. That's why it's in my head. Yeah. Um, and other writers that I know, you know, and directors and, and you just go out on a limb and that, that letter can take a full day of really thinking it through and mine and deep and, you know, but you, you kind of, it's the same thing with the agent. You have to put all of that out there to expect to any kind of thing to come back at all, you know, to get any connection, because especially if you're at working at that level, there'll be a whole lot of other people doing exactly the same yeah. thing and they'll come with a lot more money. Yeah. So 
to pitch yourself and pitch really strongly and personally yeah. is really important. I'd also say to go back again. Yeah. To just check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. ask. Yeah. Always just ask. You yeah. know, because you've really got nothing to lose yeah. at a certain point in time. And things go so quickly off the boil, especially over there. Yeah. You know, there's like, oh, the magazine article and everybody's pitching for it. And it's, you know, someone buys it for seven figures. And then you go, what's happening with that? Absolutely nothing. You know, it was the hottest yeah. thing of, yeah. you know, that month. And then you go back and kind of start chipping away again, you know. <laughs> But, you know, and, and it can absolutely fail. <laughs> like I had a thing recently where I fell in love with a book and approached the writer and found out that he would want a, a Muslim woman to direct it and then got a Muslim woman director who's absolutely fantastic and then did a pitch and got my manager to produce it and anonymous content and went back and had the conference calls and bought him um, Irish chocolate. <laughs> and brought that to the meeting because yeah. <laughs> yeah. he hadn't tasted it before and all of that and yeah still didn't get the job <laughs> but they'll you know they'll remember you right see they might come back yeah you know, I can go back you sort of with, you know think of you for something else yeah I'll go back <laughs> Um, we just yeah just coming to the end of more questions I want just ask you if you think there's a fashion um, that's very current about optioning and, and it has to there seems to be loads of really good dramas with female characters and women directors and it's all good in that sense but they've all been written already as books is that is that what's happening as opposed to original material oh god that is a huge yeah. thing yeah i mean that's because they can point to a graphic novel or a best-selling book or a documentary like i actually started advising friends of mine to write their story as a new yorker article because it and and trying to get it in the New Yorker, and they these are people who would have no traction with it with a feature film or a and like I don't know if any if anyone has agents, but there's ways to um there's like I get sent on a Friday uh, things to things to watch, and it's manuscripts that haven't been published yet, and it's New Yorker articles, and it's you know it pulls from everywhere graphic novels, and and I read the whole list, and then I say can I read these three, and they send me those three, and then it it goes on from there, you know so. So, but th that, that is a trend that will continue, I think, absolutely, you know. So it's either like you, you can point to these are the things that um, we already know that there's an audience for, you know. So mm. one plus one, it's pretty logical. Or it feels more like the personal, you're selling yourself like the same way that, you know, uh, Phoebe would sell herself in Fleabag as much. And, and I know she's, a, she's an actress as well, so it's a different thing. Mm. But, but as a writer, you can... You can position yourself as that writer, you know. She's the one who blah, but you have to figure out what the blah is. <laughs> the what your part. brand is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and is it's a dirty word, but it's it's but it's true. You know? It is true for for anything, like director, anything you're doing, really. But um, I have heard that, like there, there was an executive development executive at Element, like a year or two ago, said said to some um, writers here in a development course that they'd be better up, honestly that they would be better off writing their script screenplays as a book first. And short stories. published and then coming back yeah. to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's not even, I mean, it's maybe not even the best-selling thing. It's like, can I read this and there's a story there and there's a there's something there, there's a voice there. And then I do think you have more power, you know? Like yeah. I talk with a lot of writer friends and they're like, I'm going to, you know, that script from 10 years ago that I love that I'm like, yeah, it's a great script. I'm going to rewrite it as a novel now. And you go, okay, to get some traction, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's or a to, major to commitment. finished, actually, <laughs> you know. That too. To, to complete. Yeah. Um, are there any more questions? Or is it, I'm going to wind up. Do 
I mean, I don't know if you're going to ask Lauren probably where just what you're working on right now and what you can tell. Um, what I'm 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 working on a pitch for working title, um, which is a half hour comedy, um, about uh veterans, <laughs> which is really interesting actually because. They're a group of people who, like America is so divided right now, and they're the only group of Americans I've met who are not divided oh. based on any political belief whatsoever. There's no division. And so it's it's amazing because you go, wow, there's this crazy, strange little utopia that goes on with this unbelievable bond, you know? So that's just an interesting thing to explore right now because my goal right now is to do a show that is truly bipartisan. <laughs> and that's a weird thing to say because it's a half-hour comedy, but that's what's under, that, that's the... That's the push underneath it. Um, it's actually a very political push underneath it, or anti-political <laughs> push. Um, and then I'm going to staff write on a show, uh, a Showtime show. Yeah, which I can't say what it is. <laughs> Yet! Um, Couple of glasses. <laughs> no. Um, and then just the other 15 projects, you know, every day you look at them and you go... <laughs> how can I inch this one up the hill another tiny yeah. this boulder you know yeah certainly ve the veterans it, that's a great pitch because it, like I can't think of any other series like that I can't think yeah. of any other series about and veterans, they're also right? so cliche comedy about yeah. veterans for God's sake I mean they're all they're all they're also like you know SEAL team or, or a crazy homeless guy like there's yeah, there's yeah. very little little in between and there's an incredible one of the best books I've ever read called Tribe which is Sebastian Younger's point of view about war and mm. and and society and it's really small. So so like just things like that there's like just huge inspiration from that. But you just don't know like you could go and pitch that show and they could go, "You know, veterans only make up 1% of the American population." You're done. You know, you just don't know. So so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward 10 years. I know some of us may not even be here. <laughs> <laughs> fast forward you were back here 10 years time chatting to us and we said what would you like to be able to tell us had happened the best thing that could happen <laughs> career-wise if you just had your big wish what would it be um I honestly actually at this point in time it would it would actually be my own tv show to be honest yeah yeah it's that simple um and that's again the pie eating contest that I'll be like why did I wish for that because I'm so nauseous right now but you have a pension <laughs> that's actually true then you can build houses yeah I w yeah the writers guild are very good for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I say thank you that was thank you thanks. wonderful Until the next time, thank you for listening. For more content and information about WIFT, please visit our website at wft.ie.